Okay, Jesus says, You have heard that it's been said, Whoever divorces his wife shall give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife other than for sexual immorality shall be committing adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, these are powerful words that you speak. And Lord, they were a shock uh, to the people that heard these words the first time. <clears throat> Lord, your disciples were probably in, in awe. This so went against their culture and what the religious leaders had taught them. So Lord, I just pray that you would have grace upon our hearing and an anointing upon your word that we may both have your grace and your anointing to understand what you spoke 2,000 years ago and how it can be applicable for today. Thank you, Lord for your eternal word. May it not return to you void tonight. Amen. Well, the most difficult years of marriage are those years following the wedding. You know, there would there'd be a lot more happy marriages if husbands really tried to understand their wives. I should have heard an amen from some of you ladies. And only if wives would really try to understand football. You know, it's been said that marriage is the continuous process of getting used to things that you had never expected before. And although the subject of marriage may be more relevant for some than for others, it is very important that we all know what God says about it. He created and established this sacred institution. I thought it was very fascinating that both George Barna, his research team, and also Focus on the Family estimate that 53% of Western marriages end in divorce. No wonder our country is in such crisis today. Over half. And of true born-again Christian marriages is 31 to 35 percent end in divorce. Now, this is lower than the poll of 53 percent. But one-third of genuine believers that are getting divorced? That should not be. 
80% of divorcees will remarry. And 85% of them will divorce again. We need to know what the Word of God says about this important issue so that we can have God's perspective on marriage. Well, in the time of Jesus, the rabbinical school of Hillel dominated Jewish doctrine and interpretation. And this teaching that came from this school of this really highly respected rabbi gave the husband most of the rights and responsibilities regarding the option of divorce. The Pharisees interpreted Moses' teaching to mean that a man could divorce his wife for any reason, although he was required to repay the wife's dowry if he did divorce her for a reason other than adultery. Now, what did Jesus do? Well, he countered this abusive interpretation that ended up victimizing women by restricting divorce to the grounds of sexual immorality. Well, we read in Deuteronomy 24, we see that the divorce procedure is established by law. The one restriction placed on remarriage was that the original couple was not to marry one another again if one of them had been married to a third party in the meantime. And in Deuteronomy 22, we, we see and find restrictions on divorce. If rape preceded the marriage or a man falsely accused his wife of immorality, divorce was not permitted. And although divorce and remarriage were not encouraged, they were not denied. And it was assumed that remarriage would follow divorce. This whole issue of divorce was raised several times to Jesus, indicating that it was a much debated topic in the days of Jesus, and especially among the Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of the law. And most of the debates were over the grounds of which a man might divorce his wife. Now, some said that marital unfaithfulness, that was enough for a divorce. But others said that adultery was to be punished by stoning, not by a simple divorce. So why was the issue of divorce debated so intensely? Well, the Jewish people understood that God, through Moses, had given his covenant people the law. They believed it was their duty and their privilege to keep God's commandments. But by the first century, most Jews believed their hope of salvation depended upon keeping God's laws as faithfully as possible. One who kept the law was considered a righteous person and would be able to enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, every single of the 300, 613 laws, every one of them was important. And every legal question was debated intensely, including the law of divorce and remarriage. In Matthew 21, Matthew 5, 21, 10 verses earlier, Jesus started introducing a series of, you have heard that it was said, sayings. And in each one, what did Jesus do? He quoted the Mosaic law 
And then he pointed to the ideal. And each of these sayings showed that the rulings of the law were all about outward behavior. But God is always primarily concerned about the state of the heart. The law is not the highest moral standard. The law is actually a reduced standard. Because love is the highest standard. Jesus was stressing the sacredness of marriage, saying that it is a binding covenant and it should not be broken lightly. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus gives us an explanation of God's intention for marriage. Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus responded to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Now the first century Israelis knew that they could not commit adultery. They knew that that was against God's law. But instead, when they got tired of their wives, they just wrote a certificate of divorce and sent them away. How convenient. Boy, this disturbed Jesus. When Jesus came and declared that God did not intend for marriage to be disposable, but that marriage was to last a lifetime until death do us part. And he said in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And Jesus was referring to the institution of marriage, saying that God ordained the marriage relationship, and once it is entered into, Mere men are not competent to break it apart. And in the first century, the scribes and the scribal courts were making pronouncements on when it was valid to divorce and when it was not. <coughs> Excuse me. They're given pronouncements. Oh, you can divorce? Oh, you can't divorce. Men were making judgments on an institution that God had ordained. 
Yet the Old Testament granted no ecclesiastical court that privilege. None. The Pharisees and the scribes were deciding for others when a marriage should be dissolved. But God has not made men judges over men concerning marriage. Marital intimacy and the possible difficulties of the relationship are not open to the judgment of others. In Deuteronomy 24, the scriptures say that no court of elders or of priests was involved when a divorce took place. It was up to the husband and the wife to determine if the marriage was over. The only legality involved was giving the written bill of divorce and by returning her dowry to her. But the point that Jesus was making was not that a husband and a wife are unable to divorce, but that no ecclesiastical court can say you can or you cannot. Now the truth is each of us bear the responsibility of our own choices. If a couple feels that their marriage is destructive and that divorce is a better option for them, then their future is their decision and responsibility. They are to seek God's will knowing that divorce is the last option to be considered and that his grace is sufficient even in difficult marriages. Choosing to forgive and to live by a higher level of love is far more preferable than severing a covenantal agreement. But if the couple insists on divorce, that's their choice. There may be other issues that complicate matters, such as when only one spouse wants to divorce and the other doesn't. And for sure, each one will be held accountable before the Lord, the righteous judge, in their individual personal decision. Many couples think that if they argue, they're headed for divorce. But conflict does not kill relationships. What's important is how you deal with the conflict. Now, anger. We looked at anger earlier in this study series. Anger is part of our emotional makeup. And God did not make a mistake when he included it in our personality. But he wants us to handle it righteously. Being upset does not give us license to yell and scream and slam the doors or give the silent treatment. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise man keeps himself under control. In Psalm 4.4, David said, In your anger, do not sin. Search your hearts and be silent. In other words, think, listen, and calm down before you react. And never resort to name-calling. Name-calling serves no purpose but to intentionally hurt the other person. God said, do not insist on getting even. I'll take care of it, says the Lord. Romans 12, 19. You can become emotionally sick 
and, a, and even physically sick by holding on to bitterness. So people need to release anger and bitterness and forgive and ask God to fill his heart or your heart with his love. Well, we saw a little bit of God's view of marriage. Volumes of books have been written on this subject. I'm just giving you a little scratch of what Jesus had said in just these two verses. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 2. We took a little look at God's perspective on marriage. Now let's take a look on God's view on divorce. Malachi 2, verses 14 through 16. The Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make them, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now it's obvious, God hates divorce. He does not want anyone to go through the agony of it, the rejection, the emotional tearing, the heartbreak, the disappointment, the guilt, and the shame that usually accompany it. His goal in ordaining marriage was to strengthen and to edify us, not to tear us down. He desired to create a supportive union, not a destructive isolation. So God, who loves us, hates divorce for our sakes. That's why he hates it. He hates what it does to mankind. But we must realize that at times, there can be greater hurt and damage to spouses and children by keeping the marriage together than by divorcing, such as in the case of severe abuse or brutality to family members. Malachi 2.16 tells us that divorce is a violent act. It is violent to the spouse, and it's violent to God's intention for marriage. God's ideal is for spouses to be faithful to one another and to their covenant before him. He requires just and faithful behavior within marriage, and he hates the selfish, hard-hearted attitudes that destroy this sacred covenant. Marriage is the most important and binding human covenant that is made. Wow. It demands tenderness and maturity and forgiveness. 
all which come out and proceed from commitment. No marriage will ever be stronger than the commitment that it is built upon. Commitment is the essence and the structure of marriage. Becoming one flesh means that two lives are bound together in every respect. They share themselves physically, emotionally, and intellectually. They share their values and their decisions. And through the sharing of all that, they are, in sharing all that they are, they become one. Now every marriage is as different as the two people involved. No one should ever compare his or her marriage with those of others. Some marriages are very romantic. Others are very compatible. Some exemplify good teamwork and others produce great children. But not all marriages have every good quality. The Hollywood ideal of romance expressed in movies must be tempered with realism. All right, let's turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is to be respected and honored by everyone, singles and married people. It is a holy and a binding covenant. Marriage partners are to be faithful emotionally and physically and mentally to each other. And they're not to covet another person's spouse or flirt with someone else's mate. For a believer, divorce will always, always be the last resort to a difficult marriage. Divorce falls short of God's ideal and God's glory. Yet God's forgiveness is available for those who fail in marriage, just as it is available for those who fail in other areas of life. God's grace and His mercy are consistent. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin, although it always carries painful consequences. As we search the scriptures for guidelines regarding the difficult issues of divorce and remarriage, we must also look through the eyes of grace as we consider those who have suffered the trauma of divorce. And it is traumatic. <coughs> Excuse me. God is committed to work with us throughout our earthly lives with his redeeming grace. The grace that brings us to salvation continues to operate after we are saved also. And it is this grace, this favor, this undeserved reward and, and honor and favor that divorcees need from the rest of us within the body of Christ. You know, when Janet and I wrote this lesson, we did not want to present a firm theology. Uh, there are a wide variety of beliefs and positions about this subject, 
But it's interesting that you hear it very seldom in pulpits today. But it's critical, especially at the rate that it's increasing. Now, we, we've written in this lesson what we believe about this issue, and it's found at the end of the chapter of One Flesh, God's Idea. In closing, we must not be so concerned about expounding biblical teachings on divorce when it is allowed and when it's not allowed that we fail to show compassion and tenderness toward those that are facing that issue. Everyone that's involved in talking divorce is in need of lots of love. Jesus did not come to burden a weak humanity with a stricter law, but he came to bring a message of grace and truth because the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 17. God is gracious to those who fail in marriage as he is to those who fail in general. But we must be agents of healing all the time and help in the midst of the tragedy of divorce while it is still upholding the sacred institution of marriage and the covenant that binds it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is... <clears throat> Uh, difficult to look at and investigate, but Jesus, you put this in. You had these words, and you spoke these words to your disciples, those few disciples that were sitting at your feet. Back in Matthew 5, you went up to a mountain, and when you were seated, you opened your mouth, and you began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, these men have been sitting with you for a long time. And then you got to this issue that was, being, that was rampant in your day, Jesus, and it's rampant in ours as well. Lord, over half, over half, 53% of marriages today end in divorce. And everyone says it won't happen to us. It can't happen to us. Lord, thank you for the revelation of the cross. Marriage brings the cross uh, more real and in greater ways. Thank you that we are to continually deny ourselves, Take up our cross daily and follow you. Lord, I pray that what has been in your heart concerning this issue of divorce and remarriage, Lord, will stay with us that we'll have the compassion, the truth, the love, the kindness, and the understanding to be able to minister and to share your heart with those that are in this traumatic situation. 
So now may there be great grace upon us in our times of sharing in our groups. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We lift up your word. <clears throat> Thank you for being magnified and glorified in that which is written in making it real to our hearts and lives. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Janet, is there any adjustment? To